This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It is Wednesday, January 20th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. Chris, I think this is the first time you've been on the podcast since we reacted to the Alabama-Ohio State national title game. We're kind of in off-season mode, aren't we? Yeah, it's it feels like that season went on literally forever. And it, it feels really weird to transition to 2021, but I'm already excited about who we're going to get to see on the field. We, we're talking NFL draft declarations, which is one of my favorite times of year. I love the draft, so really excited to be on. The deadline to declare uh, was January 18th. This year was interesting because those seniors, or, or anyone actually, got a, got an extra year back. So you look across the country, and, and this team and that team, they all can say, like, hey, we've got eight or nine guys on each side of the ball who were starters coming back. It's going to be a really interesting season. I think there's going to be a lot of parity. I think we're going to see a, a lot of guys – I, I just think the play is obviously going to be a lot better after a, a more normal offseason, and we're going to have you know way more games and stuff. But there are a few teams who absolutely benefited on Monday from players surprisingly deciding to return to school, and then there are, are teams who who are losing. So it's it's pretty simple: winners and losers. And this is you know, this is not totally comprehensive. Like you know, someone was telling me Penn State got a few guys back they didn't mean to expect to get back, and there's there's teams across the country who are thrilled to return this guy or that guy. But this is we're trying to look at teams who are going to factor into the 2021 season and who got a boatload of guys or lost a boatload of guys or lost guys who are just absolute superstars. So I want to start with with Ohio State. Would you agree that of all the teams who won, they're the top winner just because Chris Olave is coming back? Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to kind of put a number on how important Chris Olave is for Ohio State, but kind of like last year when we saw Alabama bring back Jalen Waddle, who who had to come back, but also get Devontae Smith back somewhat surprisingly. Ohio State's a huge winner here because now Ohio State, just like it did this year, can say it has two first-round receivers on the outside in Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave coming back to help whoever the next quarterback is, kind of like we saw last year with those two Alabama receivers helping Mac Jones kind of adjust to that role. So that'll be great for likely C.J. Stroud. But to have those two kind of receivers with Chris Olave leading the way alongside what is probably, I think you would agree, the deepest wide receiver room in the country, Ohio State's going to be stacked in a position we talk about over and over again about how critical it is. And for Chris Olave to lead that group heading into 2021, Ohio State's stock jumped one or two notches alone because he is an absolute difference maker on the outside. And like a little less known, but Jeremy Rucker, who made a who made a pretty big contribution in the semifinal, is back at tight end, who was a former elite recruit himself, is going to be a draft pick. To have him back at that position along with Tyreek Smith at defensive end, Ohio State's a big winner, even though they lost guys like Justin Fields, like that factory is going to keep producing, but to bring back a couple of key contributors off this year's team is really going to launch them forward into next year. Alave's on, you mentioned it, the, the Devonte Smith 
you know, training program. And I think uh, a loaded 2021 NFL draft at receiver and a weaker 2022 draft brings him back. I think I was thinking about this, the fact that he was a three-star recruit out of high school. I don't want to put too much stock into this, but he was. And I, I wonder if going into college, his ex- his expectations just being a three-star recruit are just different than the four and five stars who we know that they plan on just, they go, well, I'll be here for the next three years of, of my life. And a, a guy coming in with, with really no, no, no hype in Chris Alave, especially with this year being a lost year for so many guys, it makes sense to me why he would want to come back. So I'm, I'm excited to watch him. I, I think CJ Stroud's going to put up huge numbers. I saw his Heisman odds were, were skyrocketing. And, and I think, I think this Ohio State team is going to be dangerous. And you mentioned Garrett Wilson. If Garrett Wilson doesn't decide to come back for a fourth year, and if 2021 is his last, I think it's it's kind of crazy that he will go throughout his college tenure never being the top first option for his quarterback. He'll always sort of be second banana, despite the oh, that, fact that he's he's just immensely talented. Yeah, I mean, it worked out pretty well for Jalen Waddle this year. Like Jalen Waddle, like when you think about, it, I don't mean to turn this into an Alabama thing. Jalen Waddle was only like a top option for Alabama for about six games of his career. So like on these teams like Ohio State and Alabama, that sometimes happens. And I agree with what you said about Garrett Wilson. But Chris Olave is kind of the top dog there. And I don't I don't want to lean too heavily on the Devontae Smith comparison because they're not the same player. But like they're very similar both in stature and kind of build. Their games are kind of similar. Devontae's a little faster. I think Chris Olave tested pretty poorly in high school, which is one of the reasons why we had him rated so low. He ran in the four sevens, which I think undersells his speed considerably. But like they have a similar profile, similar build, similar fame, similar games in a lot of ways. They're great off the ball, great in releases. And I think next season could be a year with a full schedule ahead of them. Chris Olave can make the sort of jump into the first round we saw Devontae Smith make this year. Clemson, I think a big winner here. Justin Ross is coming back to school for 2021, missed the 2020 season with a neck injury. Vertebrae is a scary thing. He's not totally cleared for contact yet, but hey, man, like if... Clemson really missed Justin Ross this year, and and he could make up what would be a revamped wide receiver room for DJ Uyangalale, and that's important in, in an offense moving forward without Trevor Lawrence, who left early, Travis Etienne, and left tackle Jackson Carmen, who also left early. That put Clemson over the top as the winner, but I would argue that the, the real reason the Tigers are winners is because they are returning all 11 defensive starters because Darren Kendrick's coming back, thought he might be a three-and-done corner, Linebacker Jamie Skalski, he's coming back. Safety Nolan Turner, 79 pro football focus grade. He's coming back for a sixth season. Skalski and Turner are not NFL guys, but at a certain point, for most teams, those guys would just say, all right, it's it's time to move on. I think it matters, though. Uh, we talk about culture of Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson. Those are the schools where you you tend to see a lot of guys come back. I think that uh, they, they love playing there. They love being a, a part of that that football family. I think that's, that's huge for Clemson. I, I can't remember the last time someone returned 11 defensive starters. And and I think just like Alave's return boost Ohio State's stock, I think this would make me feel pretty good about Clemson in 21. Yeah, undoubtedly. Like 12 or 11 returning starters for Brent Venables is kind of a scary thing. If you're an offense in the ACC, like that guy does not need more ammunition. And he'll have a ton of it heading into next year, especially with the recruiting class coming in. They have guys like Jeremiah Trotter who might be able to contribute on the two deep at linebacker at maybe some positions where injuries really bit Ohio or comes in this year. So that group coming back, especially Kendrick, I know that secondary struggled kind of late in the year, but if Kendrick's healthy, if Andrew Booth is healthy, 
Clemson could have the makings of a killer secondary, which has been a pretty big bugaboo for them the last two trips to the playoffs. So having all those pieces back makes me feel a heck of a lot better about Clemson than I did maybe two weeks ago when we were putting together our two early top 25s. In the ACC, staying in the ACC, I think Miami is a big winner. They brought back Derek King. Don't know how his ACL recovery is going. Probably hasn't started the rehab yet, but he was one of the best quarterbacks in college football. This year, they're they're bringing back wide receiver Mike Harley, offensive tackle Jared Williams. Defensively, they lose, they lose Jalen Phillips. Good for him, the former number one recruit. Built up a, a great resume to be maybe a first-round pick, but bringing back uh, Nesta Silvera, defensive tackle, Bubba Bolden at safety. Miami's starting to build something. I, I think they leave me wanting in, in big games and big moments, but this is a pretty nice amount of talent coming back to Coral Gables. And, and Chris, I'll let you speak on King. Is there any word on when he might be ready? King's recovery process is supposed to, at least as far as I've heard, is supposed to be pretty traditional in terms of ACL. They expect him back in fall camp. Like the ACL is no longer the injury it was in the 80s. Uh, where it could end a player's career. Like it's a pretty, it's not regular. I'm not saying I want to go into the night to repair my ACL, but it's something you can come back from. And I think most people fully expect here King to make that recovery in time for next season. And having him back is just so big for Miami, a program that struggled to find an answer at quarterback uh, for a very long time. It's, King makes so many things better for Miami. He makes the receivers better even though he didn't get a ton of help from them this year, except for Mike Harley, who you mentioned. Makes the offensive line better. He makes that entire team better. And Derek King just makes you feel like Miami has a chance in some of the games they've lost in the past. Like, he just kind of gives you that hope. He gives you that kind of feeling for Miami that Miami could be back very soon. And just getting him back is monumental for the program. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. we got a few more winners, and we're going to get to the losers, too. The College Football Daily will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the College Football Daily. I'm Trey Scott, still joined by Chris Hummer. Chris, would you... I'm going to let you go first. Iowa State or Georgia? They're both winners. Who won the biggest? Iowa State. I don't think there's much question about that. Like, Iowa State is a program that can contend for Big 12 and potentially a national championship this coming year. Can contend for a Big 12 championship once every couple of years as their cycles. Our recruiting classes kind of cycle up and the best players get older. Iowa State extended that window this offseason by getting Brock Purdy, Charlie Kohler, Chase Allen, Greg Eisworth back. There's no question about that. I think next year had those guys left might have been a bit of a down year for Matt Campbell, a bit of a rebuilding year around some really talented recruits he's brought in. That is no longer the case heading into 2021. They return almost their entire roster, I think 19 starters. And to have that core group in place makes Iowa State not only a legitimate Big 12 threat, they are a playoff threat heading into next year, which is something I do not think we could have said three weeks ago when projecting who was coming back for that program. It's pretty crazy. Greg Eisworth, just to mention him, he's already a three-time All-Big 12 safety. So, I mean, this is, it kind of speaks to the uncharted waters we're getting into when you're, when, when players are, um, the, the seniors are exercising that extra year of eligibility. It's, it's huge for Iowa State. I would, I would pencil them in right now, uh, rematch against Oklahoma 
in the Big 12 title game. And then for Georgia, Georgia absolutely has playoff aspirations again this season. I ranked Georgia second, Chris, when we did our, our top 25s. So much talent. I feel like they've got quarterback figured out. And I was not expecting a few of these guys to return. I was not expecting Zamir White to return. I thought a guy with injury history, he was going to go ahead and get an NFL paycheck. Jamari Saul, your former five-star offensive lineman, coming back for a fourth season, is massive up front. And defensively, they lose plenty. They're going to have to retool their nearly their entire secondary, lose a few guys at linebacker. But it's going to be really tough to run on the Bulldogs in 21. Jordan Davis is coming back. He's a monster. Devontae Wyatt coming back. He's a monster. That's two really good defensive tackles. And then outside linebacker Adam Anderson was their sack specialist in 2020. He had a PFF grade of 93. That's the highest of anyone on the team. You pair Adam Anderson with Nolan Smith, who we're still waiting on the light to come on for, the former number one recruit. Uh, but I think this, this Georgia defense is going to be phenomenal because of the guys they have returning. And then offensively, a few pieces here like White and Sawyer. I think I think that's going to make a big difference for JT Daniels. Yeah, unquestionably. And I think I think the Adam Anderson aspect of that is really, really important for Georgia this year. With Aziz Ojulari kind of headed to the NFL as we expected, you might have thought there was going to be a drop-off if Adam Anderson went as well, given the questions we have about Nolan Smith and some of those kind of young, unproven outside linebackers for Georgia. But when you put Adam Anderson next to Nolan Smith next year, along with those two kind of defensive tackles you mentioned, Georgia's front seven is going to be nasty in a way that might help make up for so many questions in the secondary. And that offense was Zemir White back. Most of that offensive line back around JT Daniels could be really good heading into his second year, kind of with him under center and with a new kind of offensive coordinator and system in tow, coming out of what I would consider more of a year zero year than a year one. So Georgia has the potential to make it step offensively. And that front seven is going to be able to keep that secondary afloat as the young players kind of get accumulated to SEC football. So North Carolina, they really only have have two notable names who they lost. Running back Javante Williams, wide receiver Deami Brown. I thought about, should they be a loser here as we move into a different category? I was talking to Ross Martin, colleague at Inside Carolina. He he says that if those guys had come back, this would have been an incredible offense. The whole offensive line is returning. Quarterback Sam Howell is returning in 21. Talked before about 21 being North Carolina's window. They're going to have another one when Drake May is is an upperclassman after Sam Howell leaves. So that would be like 2024. But I really like the idea of of North Carolina contending in 21. And if they had returned either Javante Williams or Deami Brown, I would have liked that idea a little bit better. Yeah, I think unquestionably it's a big deal. North Carolina lost those two guys. But I would say there's a lot of talent kind of left in the pipeline. North Carolina's adding Tennessee running back Ty Chandler, who was a former elite recruit himself, averaged around five yards per carry in his Tennessee career. And I expect the holes to be a lot bigger at UNC with that offense and that offensive line they have coming back. So that's big. And then Josh Downs, I think, who starred in the bowl game against Texas A&M, is a name people need to remember. He's going to be a breakout player this year former top 100 recruit. And I think he can fill kind of some of those uh, holes at the wide receiver group that you lose with Brown kind of outgoing. I think Josh Downs is a future star. So with those two guys stepping in, I don't think North Carolina is going to miss as big of a beat as people might expect. Thanks to the presence of Downs and Chandler. We want you, we, we keep picking USC to win the PAC 12 and maybe to make the playoff, or at least I do, or maybe nationally, we, we like the idea of it. 
But to do that, you have to get lucky. You have to have a few guys who are going to return. We, we already talked about this. Alabama does it. Ohio State does it. Clemson does it. Georgia's starting to do it. USC isn't, Chris. They lose, they lose six guys. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, star offensive tackle. I'm not surprised that Talanoa Hufanga, their superstar safety, is going pro, but maybe they would have liked to get back Elijah Griffin. So to me, it's not like this concerning trend. I, it's, it's great to send your guys off to the NFL, but it, it would have been really, really great if you're a USC fan to get one or two of those guys back. Well, you mentioned you've got to get lucky, and I think it goes back to the cultural aspect of the thing we talked about earlier with Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson. It's not really a matter of luck. I think for these players, you're in a position where your goal is to get your money. Every top recruit goes into college at a place like USC, hoping to go three and out and get their money. But for some of these like borderline second to kind of fifth round guys, and USC has a lot of them, I don't really know if there's a first round pick among that group except for maybe Elijah Bear Tucker. So if you can get one of one to three of those guys to come back for their senior seasons or their fifth seasons and compete for a championship, like you have a really big selling point there, finish unfinished business. But for USC, which I realized just played for a actual championship in a shortened season, that aspiration of the playoff just hasn't been there recently. Like USC hasn't really been particularly close outside of that one year with Sam Darnold. And they got smacked by Alabama to open that season. So they weren't even all the way there either. So I think USC is just really missing that aspect for these players to come back of competing for championships. And that's up to Clay Helton and his staff to kind of change that culture and to put USC in that position where an Amon Raw St. Brown, who might be a second round pick, is like, if I come back for one year, I can raise my stock, play on a national level, and maybe be a first round pick while competing for a championship. And I think that's what's missing for USC. You can't lose your fringe guys or you can't lose all of your fringe guys and expect to be as good as you possibly could be. I think Texas is in the same boat. It, yeah, sure. Absolutely, Joseph Asai made the right call and going to the NFL. He's he's probably going to be a first-round pick. Had it at an 80 grade on PFF. Sam Cosme as well. Was in the 90s, an offensive tackle, either late first-round pick, early second-round pick. That's, that's to be expected. But Chris, when you have a, an inconsistent receiver like Brennan Eagles, or an inconsistent safety like Caden Stearns, when you have those guys go pro, that's not good. Those guys should be wanting to stick around, wanting to improve their draft stock, and wanting to win. Again, I'm not taking the task anyone who's going to get their paycheck, especially with a new coach. Like That's that, that's whatever. That, those decisions were made beforehand. It, it, it is what it is, but maybe, and maybe this is just too far-fetched for me, maybe it speaks to some sort of level of unhappiness and level of um, you know poor cohesion with the prior staff that those guys are so excited to get out of Austin that they're cool with being sixth or seventh round picks and not try to work their way into the third round. And this, this for Texas, this is maybe an overreaction in 2020 or 2021 because of in the past few years, Texas has had plenty of guys who did not profile as early picks to still leave with a year left on the table and either be mid to late round picks or undrafted period. Two quick things uh, coming off that statement. I do not think you're at off base at all about unhappiness with the program with Brennan Eagles or with um, Caden Stearns. Like, no question about that. Just talking to people around Austin. Those two players, uh, I think, had their issues with the last staff at times and were ready to get to the league because I think both players have the ceiling of really high-level NFL players. They just maybe not, didn't show it during their college career. The other aspect of it with Texas is 
the development track you were talking about, like consistently Texas brings in high level talent, but they don't turn them into elite draft picks. I think Joseph Asai and Sam Cosby might break that streak, but we see it over and over and over again. A player goes to the league from Texas, gets drafted late, but then sticks around in the league for a lot longer than you might expect as an undrafted free agent or a late round pick. And they kind of exceed what they did in college in the NFL because that talent is there and it's ultimately cultivated. And if Steve Sarkeesian hopes to kind of alter this trend, he has to develop better. That was the issue under Charlie Strong. It was issued late under Matt Brown. It was somewhat of an issue kind of late in Tom Herman's tenure as well. So if Steve Sarkeesian wants to win, yes, he has to recruit. But these players, once they get to campus, have to be developed better. Like, there's just no question about that. Stanford, you threw, the, you threw these guys on the, on the list, Chris. I saw that Walker Little, he didn't play in 2020. He hardly played in 2019, I think, one game. Pretty good in 2018. He's he's off to the NFL as expected. Did you think that Davis Mills or someone like that might have returned? Yeah, I think Davis Mills... What did Stanford get? Five games out of Davis Mills in his career, essentially? Like, he started a little bit in 2019, but that was a, it's a former five-star recruit who ranked ahead of Tuatonga Valoa in the 2017 class. Like, you hope to get more than one full season of the starter out of Davis Mills. And he played really well. Like if you watched Stanford this year, I was really impressed by Davis, but like you want that guy back for another season, if possible, if you're Stanford and you hope to kind of build back up what David Shaw had early in his tenure. Paulson Adebo was really good in his career. He opted out of the season. You maybe hope he returned. They lost Drew Dahlman, who was their center, their top offensive lineman this year. You hope he would come back for another year. And you kind of just add these losses up and it, it turns into Stanford likely rebuilding next year instead of maybe competing in the Pac-12 North like they could have. And I think Stanford, a really proud program in the middle of last decade, is still facing kind of an uphill battle to get back to that point. They're not recruiting as well. They're not bringing all these guys back, those elite talents they brought in kind of in the middle of last decade, particularly in the 2017 class. And I think David Shaw is going to have a tougher and tougher time kind of competing in a conference that should be wide open. Last thing, and, and that wraps up our winners and losers. And there's, again, there's there's more, and, and maybe we, we missed a few teams. Do you think, Chris, there's any sort of, you know, if, if, you, if you go pro early and you're not drafted, should you be able to come back? Do you, I'm, I'm just curious, do you agree with that rule, uh, the, the rule change that some people are suggesting? It's kind of a tough thing. I think, I think I lean towards no, because just logistically, it would be a nightmare given the way the schedule sets up. This isn't, this isn't college basketball where you have 15 roster spots and you don't have as much juggling to do numbers wise, like for a Nick Saban to conceivably leave open seven spots in his recruiting class every year, uh, just to make sure that he can bring everybody back who wants to come back. Sounds like a very difficult thing. It would be another headache for coaches. And I'm not, I don't want to be the guy defending these multimillionaire coaches against these players who at this point haven't made any money. But I just think, a college education is a valuable thing and players need to think long and hard about their future value. If they enter a draft where they might not be drafted in a seven round process, if you're not going to get drafted in a seven round process, I think you really need to think strongly about coming back to school. And I, I might get killed for this take. I just, I just don't think it makes a ton of sense to reward players for making bad uninformed decisions in that case when the NFL is quite clear on their feedback. Like, I mean, honestly, I like that. Like, no, no, I, I agree with you. These guys are all getting their, um, their analysis feedback, their evals, like they're being told where they're going to be picked. Yeah. Like it's, it's a pretty, it's actually like, it's even simpler than that. Like there's three, there's three options. You get a first round grade, you get a second round grade, or you get a return to school. If you're not within essentially those top 70 to 90 players in the nation, 
like according to NFL scouts, you know it. And if you still put yourself out there and you still bet on yourself to go in the draft, like I just, I think you have to make a big boy decision at that point. Like you're 21, 22, you're not quite a full-time adult, but like you're in college, you're getting taught to make these decisions. I just think it puts the colleges in a really difficult position with roster management. If you have to wait until April or May for 10 of your guys to kind of fall where they may in the draft. And if we change this rule, what would happen is you're going to have five or six more players per team every year enter the draft just hoping they get lucky on a flyer. And I just, I think it would create a giant headache that would require the entire kind of structure of that process to get uh, reconfigured to make it work a little more seamlessly. We spend, mil- colleges spend millions on facilities and coaches and conditioning programs. It's kind of sad that there's only three schools where year after year players trust that, hey, I'm, I'm not currently going to be picked where I want to be picked. So I want to go back and get better. It's Alabama, it's Ohio State and Clemson. And I think, Think you that uh, you want to wonder why these teams all make the playoff? And hey, we talk about the five star talent, talk about developing the five star talent, getting the five star talent on campus. But there's there's got to be something to be said for the inherent trust that a guy like Devontae Smith would probably still have been a first rounder, early second round maybe. I mean, he was awesome as a junior. Like Devo- Devontae Smith did not come out of left field for him to for him to go to come back, be a superstar, win the win the dang Heisman. And maybe go in the top 10 and he's a 175 pound receiver, but he just got that much better and, and, and proved it again. That matters. I, I think, I, I think the rest of college football has some work to do in that regard. And when you look at the losers and, and maybe North Carolina, like just two guys, right? Like, but, but the other schools, I, I think those aren't isolated cases as much as they are boatloads of players every single year are looking to get out. And, and, and not trusting that they're going to be developed the way they need to be in that fourth and final year of college football, which is, which is a bummer. And it's, it's, it's kind of like college basketball. It's, it's a bummer. You, you'd love to see. I think it's fun to see a, a school like Iowa State be a draft winner or a Miami be a draft winner. And, um, and, and so here's to, here's to everyone who went pro that should not have gone pro yet, like still getting drafted and, and, and working out. But I think as far as like a college football goes and college football podcast as far as this episode goes, I think there's, you know, a pretty clear takeaway. I completely like 100%. I want everybody who maybe made a precarious draft decision to get drafted and be rewarded. Cause I, I root for the athlete, but like college is pretty dang fun, man. I wish I can go back to college. Like if I, if I could get my degree, I could play another year with my teammates. It's not that I've played college football and I could just enjoy being a senior. Like that's not a bad deal. Like, I think sometimes players need to be a little more cautious, but kind of circling back to your point, I think you said it perfectly. USC and Texas are schools that recruit at a similar level to kind of those Clemson and Alabamas and Ohio States of the world. But their lack of development over the years is quite clear when we see NFL draft declaration time, like players are less willing to come back because there's not the history of development that there are other places. And until that changes, I think we'll continue to see Texas and USC and other teams of the like in that spot. And Chris, I, I played pickup football with you in college. You certainly weren't close to. Um, <laughs> so, I, I got a I got a basketball body, man. Like I shoot yeah. threes in the corner. That's that's all I do. All right. Well, Chris, thanks for joining us. Fun to talk off season stuff. Got a full slate of ideas for the daily as we begin our long, slow, and uh, vacation laden March to August. Our producer is Lance Glenn. I'm Trey Scott. We'll talk to you on Thursday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. When you 
have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.